Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. I'm Mary Simon, and it's been so long since I was able to be on a recording, let alone leading one of the conversations. So I'm so happy to be here. We've got Amy Gunn, Elizabeth McNulty, Megan Crow, and Erica Slater. How's everyone doing? Hey, good. great. Well, today, ladies, I want to have a discussion about a concept of self-awareness to kind of set up the conversation I did a little bit of reading about this idea of self-awareness, and I've learned that there are really two types. There's internal self-awareness and there's external. Internal self-awareness is how we see our own values, thoughts, emotions. When you think about internal self-awareness, think about if someone says something to you, it's how you receive it. It's you kind of reflecting within yourself of, wow, why do I feel this way when someone says that thing to me? It's more of, why are you the way you are? External self-awareness, on the other hand, is how we are seen by others. And external self-awareness is more of taking an objective look at ourselves. After reading about it, I kind of came to a conclusion that there's the most harmony, if you will, when both your internal self-awareness and your external self-awareness match up. You know, if you present yourself in a way where you are confident to a room of people or people who are talking to you and you actually feel that confidence in yourself, it just, I feel like the equilibrium is a lot more balanced when those two things match up. Alternatively, you know, if you go into a room and you think that you're the smartest person in the room, no matter what anyone else has to say, and the people listening to you don't actually have that thought about you, you know, I don't know how well that will bode well for you in the future to not have an awareness of how others around you might be perceiving you. And maybe what I'm getting at is you can't really have internal awareness unless you have external awareness. Today, we're really going to be focusing on external self-awareness. As y'all know, we're trial lawyers, and one of my friends asked, what do you all think you should do if you're in a situation where you can tell that somebody is majorly lacking self-awareness and it's things are just really turning into a mess, whether you're in the courtroom, out of the courtroom, you know, you're at your office and you can just see somebody saying something to a group of people, they're not receiving it well. Do you take that opportunity to intervene and say something, or do you kind of just let it play out? What do you guys think? This reminds me of a conversation I was having with my friend just a week or two ago. She was talking about how she was in court with her boss. She works for a solo practitioner, and they were in court on a motion hearing where basically her boss was doing a lot of the oral argument for this motion hearing, and The judge was indicated that his ruling was probably not going to be favorable to them. There was a lot of case law on the other side, basically was giving some pretty obvious and serious verbal cues for this lawyer to just kind of say his piece very shortly and succinctly and shut up and sit down. And the lawyer who was arguing, her boss, was kind of doubling down and doing the opposite of what the 
judge was suggesting he do and kind of went all in and, and started arguing pretty aggressively. And my friend was watching and thinking how she would have handled this so much differently. And I think she even used the words embarrassed by his conduct. And she was asking me what I would have done in that situation if I've ever been in a position like that. And Honestly, my answer is not really to someone who is my partner or a co-counsel with, but I have had this experience with opposing counsel and you watch opposing counsel do something and you realize that they're lacking self-awareness and you kind of feel like you have the upper hand there. You can really manipulate that situation to your favor. And if you see opposing counsel doing something stupid and doubling down on something when they should just shut up, then you can really make a powerful response by, you know, just kind of a one sentence banger. I know Erica and Liz have shared a story about a pretrial conference where they did something similar. I know I've had a similar experience, but I really haven't had an experience where I had to check someone who was on the same side of me. So I'm curious if anyone else has. I think it depends if it's in like a social setting, just like a quick swift kick under the table usually does it or just like a really just like a really dirty look or maybe just like you know the, the yeah i don't know how to say this slashing the next slash. yeah yeah, yeah. Next slash movement. but other than that i think if it's your boss or like your superior you just let it burn like there's nothing you can do about that i think but you can take it as a learning experience and be like you know take the cue but i don't know what you maybe talk about it afterwards like hey what what'd you think the judge was thinking when you were talking just because maybe they knew and like that's just how we thinks you argue effectively so and it sounds like what we're talking about too is in the professional setting having self-awareness in a very important aspect of our job you know in front of a judge I can speak from experience here that I think the more you practice the more you become aware of what's going on with the judge, especially when a decision needs to be made on a motion hearing, and you might have six pages of an outline of an argument ready to roll, and you can just tell by the judge maybe in the first five seconds of whether or not you should continue making your argument with your head down or not. I remember working on a trial years ago, and I was working with two lawyers in this office, And there would be signals. I learned from the lawyers who I was working with that if I had case law on an issue that was being argued or, you know, I was so geared up and ready to go, especially practicing one year, it's like you'll take any opportunity to talk to the judge or what have you. And I remember passing the case law to the lead attorney on the case. He glanced at it. And then while listening to the judge just kind of told me, we don't need this yet. And I didn't have the awareness to know, kind of read between the lines of what's happening with the judge. And someone who's just been practicing longer knows that even though we have six more cases on point, we're already winning. So we don't need to open up our mouth yet with more. We don't need to argue harder when we're already going to win. That is something that I didn't really have any awareness of until I picked it up from, you know, my dad and other attorneys that I've worked with. And now, if I know that I'm going to lose an argument. I at least will acknowledge that I know the judge is looking at me with, you know, a head shake or something and ask to make a record. 
at the very least, acknowledge the fact that there has been a response, verbal or nonverbal, from the bench and then respond accordingly. But having the self-awareness, I definitely had to learn that because I was ready to argue anything at any chance I could, no matter what (laughs) the judge was doing, because it's what I prepared and I stayed up and I wrote the motion, but that's not always the right thing to do. So when I was a young associate at a defense firm, I was working on a really, really big case. It was called the boat case. (laughs) And it went on for a long time and it ended up being tried. And the partner I was working with and I like just worked ourselves silly on this case. And the guy who led our practice group was coming in to try it with us. So I kind of got bumped to like third chair. But I wrote really intense and hopefully well-researched Daubert motions. And it was just really heavy motion practice. It was a big product liability case. And so I got to actually argue some of the motions at pretrial. And it was in front of a federal judge. And it was Judge Ross, who had been on the bench in St. Louis County for maybe 20 years before he became a federal trial judge. He was just absolutely wonderful. And so I'm up there like, this is my moment. This is all I'm going to get to do in this case now that the other attorneys come in to try it. And I'm arguing our Daubert motions and just going at it and like, here's my case and this is why we win and it's awesome. And (laughs) Judge Ross at some point stops me. He's like, remember, maiden name at the time. He goes, Ms. Bloom, you're winning. (laughs) He like cut off cut me off and said, you're winning. <laughs> and I kind of, in the two attorneys that I was working with my, at my table, I mean, you know, I kind of got the pat on the head, like, have a seat, hon. <laughs> it was a good, sweet moment. But, you know, it's just kind of what you're saying, like, more inexperienced than anything else. Like, not knowing that I had my written record. I didn't need to make a record on oral argument. The judge was kind of like, I get it. I read all your stuff. I agree you're going to win this one. But I mean, there's a couple of things you think about. You think, do I need to make a certain record? How important is this issue to my case? And when you can kind of put all those things in context, then you know how you're going to respond. So I've literally said to a judge before, like, I understand that you have made up your mind on this. If I can just briefly make my record for the court. And if you ask for that, you usually always get, you know, the reset of, of course, please make your record. Because if it is an important point, you may need to do that. And you can do it without pissing off the judge by, you know, acknowledging like, I'm not here to test your patience. May I please make my record and going on, you know, depending on what's going on, if it's not a really important motion, or it's something that like, you know, especially say you're arguing motions in limine, if it's something you can like, Sure. Put a W on their side for that, because I really care about this thing we're going to argue down the road. You can kind of concede on something and have the self-awareness of, you know, my argument can back off right now so I can really get the permission to double down on this issue that really matters in the long run. So I think the key is reading the room. It's that simple, really. It's simple to say, hard to put in practice. Whether it's the judge that you're arguing with or the opposing counsel or a deposition or whatever. I thought it was hilarious a moment ago about if it's the defense counsel <laughs> lacking self-awareness Let it in roll. his or her opening or examination. That Yeah, I'm just going to sit back on that. If it's a colleague 
then I do think it's appropriate when they sit down a little post-it note. And here's what I think is always going to be a good answer. Make it brief. Make your argument brief. Make your opening brief. It's a very hard thing to do because we've worked so hard in this case. We have a lot of things to say. We want to make our record, all those things. But have you ever heard anyone say, oh, can you waste a little more of my time, please? (laughs) Can I hear the same thing out of your mouth one more time because you think I didn't get it the first four times? I have worked on trying to, and I will continue to work on, assuming the person I'm making the argument in front of is actually listening and understanding my words. I mean, sometimes that's a stretch, but... Or collectively, maybe. Yeah. In the sense of a jury. Somebody caught it. Someone caught that. And respecting their time. No one is ever going to walk away from an argument mad that it was brief, okay? (laughs) Whether it's the judge or your opposing counsel, whoever, no one's going to walk away saying gosh, I just wish that would have lasted another 15 minutes because I wasn't already late for my next appointment. So if you're looking at concrete ways to effectuate self-awareness in the context of what we do, cut out half of what you're planning to say at a depot, at an argument, in your case, and I think it will serve you well. Now, I say that, I don't always do it. Because then you're like, well, what is half? If I start with two hours, it's still an hour, right? <laughs> half of what? But that's where you, you really have to read the room and figure out. And then also just look around. Are people starting to fall asleep? Are eyes wandering? I mean, you could take physical cues as well. I was recently in a situation where I had a motion hearing and it was an unconstitutionality argument. And it was a beautiful brief I had done, but I knew that winning it was a long shot. But I laid out the arguments the absolute best that I could. And I knew that there was a very long shot that any Missouri trial judge on this small auto case is going to be the first to take up this big issue. So I kind of knew how it was going to go. But, you know, I go up to the motion hearing anyway, and the judge says, Miss Crow, do you have anything to add that's not? in your brief. And I was like, no judge, I will, you know, just rely on the brief in this case. Because I knew, like, based on just his sentence of tossing me the ball and letting me speak, I knew that by the way he said that, do you have anything to add that's not in your brief, that he did not want me to launch into a full discussion about why I think this law was unconstitutional, because he wasn't going to go there with me. So I, you know, I just said, no, um, if you need me to make a record, I can. He's like, no, it's okay. I got it. That was he's, a great read. Yeah, it was. And he's also confirming for you, giving you the favor of like, I've read your whole brief and I understand your argument. And you're sitting there like, well, I'm a damn good writer. So right. as long as right. that was a great shot, I just gave it. <laughs> Do you know one of my favorite stories, and I'm sure all of you already know this, about Tim Cronin in law school who took my dad's trial ad class and the trial was nearing Tim the is end. one of our other attorneys. For yes. those of you who and don't it, listen to our other firm podcast. The jury is out. Yes. That's <laughs> You're right. welcome, boys. There you go, Tim. <laughs> We're plugging you. Tim was in one of my dad's trial ad classes at SLU. And he was in his final trial, you know, the big hurrah at the end of your semester. And my dad said the clock was running out on the trial you know, one of the students before Tim took a really long time and whatever they did. And Tim had a very minimal amount of time to give his closing. And he stood up and just went in front of the mock jury and just said, 
you know what, you've heard all the evidence. We told you we'd have you out by 6 p.m. or whatever it was. I trust your judgment in making the right decision in the case and sat down. And that was it. And, you know, now he works at the Simon Law Firm and has yeah. for, I don't know <laughs> That was long. the most impressive thing John Simon had ever seen a- out of a trial Absolutely. And he still <laughs> references it. He references it all the time. I remember when I was in law school and he's like, the best thing you can do is just finish and sit down. Just keep it brief and sit down. And that's what you do if you're aware and you can read the room and you know exactly what you need to say or don't say. Another aspect of this, too, this concept of, you know, self-awareness in our profession I recently hosted a dinner for incoming law students at the local law school at SLU. And at the dinner with the SLU law students, it's at 6 p.m. the night of their orientation. During this week, they're just over flooded with information about law school. And I didn't come in with any sort of agenda or anything. And it was me and a group of law students. And I just asked them at the beginning of the dinner, what do you want this dinner to be? Are you all just totally exhausted and you just want to take your pizza and go home? (laughs) Do you even want to sit here and talk for an hour? Do you have questions? And I didn't know them. I'd never met them before. Hosting student dinners isn't something I'm used to doing as much as I am, you know, taking a deposition or being in front of a judge. So I just asked. So I think also if you're unsure, if you're trying to read the room, as Amy said, it's hard to put into practice, and you aren't sure It's also okay to ask. Right. If I were one of the law students, I'd rather be asked than be talked to about how to prepare an outline for an exam. But asking them, and they all kind of took an exhale. They all looked a little bit lighter after I asked (laughs) and just laughed and said, oh, no one has asked us that. And sure, we'll ask you some questions. And they just kind of brainstormed questions about law school. And it was so much better to just ask them instead of me assuming or being unsure. And you can also do the same thing with a judge. You can say, do you want to hear argument on this? Or I've submitted a brief. Do you want us to make a record right now? Should we do it later? You know, so it's also okay if you are trying to read the room as we've talked about and you're struggling with it, you can absolutely ask. It's a great idea, too, with a judge to say, like, especially with a judge who you've either asked if they're familiar with the briefing, which I often do, which judges are, like, happy to tell you, like, if they've had time to read the briefing and formulate your argument to that. If the judge says, I haven't had the time or, you know, the response was just submitted last night, so I haven't had the time to look at it, then you know if you're going through things kind of in a stair step, or if they have read it, you can say like, is there a particular point that you would like to hear on or a particular sticking point? Because that's more effective for you anyway, to be able to speak directly to, you know, whatever the judge has a question about, which I don't know, I'm not a judge, but I sure as heck wouldn't want to sit there through 15 minutes of like, I get your procedural posture. (laughs) And I think human nature is you can't listen that long. Mm -mm. You really cannot listen that long to something like that. Can I listen that long to reality TV? Yeah, because (laughs) it's dumb. But when you're trying to figure out arguments and you're listening and trying really hard, you can't do that for more than 15, 20, 30 minutes max Mm -hmm. without your mind wandering or just being overloaded. And so just being aware of that, again, whether it's closing argument or opening, is an important part of our job. Yeah. 
Let me share a real quick story of something I saw a couple months ago. We were in court to argue a couple of motions and the counsel, defense counsel wanted to like throw something else on the docket. And the judge was like, well, let me check in with this Zoom hearing and I'll find out from the counsel how long they're going to be. And it was this big case that had local counsel and there were like 12 people on this Zoom hearing and we're sitting there live in court. And the judge kind of, you know, level sets and figures out who everyone is. And she says to the one defendant who was bringing the motion, she's like, can you give me an idea of how long, you know, you had planned on for argument so I can, you know, adjust my docket here? And the counsel, like, without any self-awareness whatsoever. It's just like, well, Judge, you know, uh, Tucker Smith here from uh, New York for uh, defendant yada yada. That's not a real name. I just was (laughs) trying to make him sound as douchey as he came (laughs) off. Um, So, (laughs) and he goes, I think I have about an hour here. So uh, not too much longer than that. Uh, Yeah. You know, as if that's like no big deal. And since we were sitting there live with the judge and I'm not sure if she was on camera, but she was just like, Flabbergasted. What do I even say? No. Yeah. No. (laughs) Incorrect. Yeah. Oh, God. It was crazy. So, I mean, not that I needed to see that to learn that lesson. But, you know, just a hot tip for everyone out there. (laughs) Don't tell the judge you're about to argue for an hour. Yeah. No. I think if you're listening to this and you're thinking, can I be more self-aware, you're already doing something right. Because I think like if you're thinking, you know, do I have self-awareness, you don't need this. But if you're like, how can I be more self-aware, I think the answer is or one tip would be to always listen more than you talk. Because just listening to other people's arguments and listening to how other things come off, listening to what other people are saying, if you listen more than you talk, I think you're always going to be put in the better position. One of the last questions that one of my friends posed to me was, is it your job to teach self-awareness? And now I'm thinking it's not always your job to be teaching self-awareness but it is your responsibility to have self-awareness. You have to practice it. I think you owe it to yourself as a professional and to everyone who you have to interact with to just be practicing it. I also put that in the bucket of like, you can only control what you do, what your emotions are. And we put on ourselves the responsibility to be self-aware even when we see bad behavior of people not being self-aware. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I can, you know, lay my head down and fall asleep without preoccupation if I know that I'm doing my best to be self-aware and letting go of what I can't control. And no matter what side of the case you're on and regardless of what type of law you practice, you have clients. You represent people and their interests. So you have to be aware of at least your clients. So to close up this discussion If you have self-awareness, it's not only going to benefit you on a personal level, but it will make you a better attorney and a better advocate for your clients in the long run. Well, ladies, this has been another incredibly productive conversation, and I hope our listeners have been able to take away as much as we all have. Be sure to send us your comments or questions at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and we will see you next week. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, 
and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and check out other legal podcasts in the Simon Law Firm Library. The Jury Is Out with John Simon focuses on lifelong learning to elevate your practice. Subscribe today. Subscribe today.